0: Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chappell. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show. I'm super excited today because this is really our inaugural interview inside of my home podcast studio. So I'm super excited to welcome Nick Pidgeon to the show. What's up? Thanks for joining me. me. So yes, exciting. ma'am. Yeah. Thanks for making the trip out to Vegas. <laughs> oh, yeah. But I hear you come out to Vegas a lot.
1: Any excuse.
0: Any excuse to come to <laughs> Vegas. They have they have your name at the front desk at the Wynn. True. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, uh, Nick, I'm super excited to have you on. And I know that we're going to get some awesome stuff uh, talking a about business and uh, coaching, marketing, everything else. But I do want to rewind the clock, build a little bit of context for everybody that is listening who may not know uh, your story. Let's rewind all the way back to... Let's say eight-year-old, nine-year-old Nick, talk to me about what life looked like. Set the scene for us.
1: So I'm from a place in the UK called Newcastle. So I grew up there. And you've literally just taken me back to a a really specific scene Great, when I was at school, at primary school, and I was trying to read this book, The 101 Dalmatians, and I was always a really, really advanced reader. It's a a
0: great read. I
1: know, right? It was an adult book at the time, and I remember my school teacher was like... Nick's, like, really far advanced in her reading, but I think this one's a little bit too tough for her. So I remember, like, putting it back on the shelf. But I grew up, I had, like, a really cool childhood. I loved, like, literally playing in the mud, building tree houses. I have a younger brother who's two years younger than me, so we used to hang out a lot and he's, yeah, he's super cool.
0: Were you always kind of a reader then growing up did you enjoy education books. in school or reading books outside of that context?
1: total total nerd okay like uh, I,
0: every definition of the word yeah yeah
1: i'd like i've always loved reading okay. it's always been a big part of my life and now i get to write books as well which is super cool yeah so i i was a real like loved school like i really really lent into that it was yeah. something that I think at the time, it gave me a lot of validation. Mm. Like, y- it's easy to connect the dots backwards when you're older, isn't it? Right. And like, I can look back now and be like, oh, like, I was always looking for someone else to kind of give me that approval or sure. to say like, you've worked so hard, Nick, well done for that. Yeah,
0: there's evidence of the work that you've put in. in yeah. School. Yeah. For sure. like that immediate validation. Yeah. Do you think that the your kind of reading bug helped you become a better writer? Or do you really look at the two of them as completely different exercises?
1: I think they're one in the same. Okay. And my experience of actually writing books is the more you read, the easier it is to write. And I enjoy it so much. Like I get so many downloads and so much creative flow. And like any writer, I've had points where I've questioned myself and I've thought, is the things that I'm writing even interesting here? Sure, yeah. But when you kind of get out of your own way and you just dive back into other people's creations, it gives you a lot of inspiration. And it's, it's like that thing, you know, if you're sitting in a um, live event and there's like 2000 people in the audience, it doesn't always have to be what the speaker's saying that is landing for you because Mm -hmm. you're always having your own inspirations and insights and aha moments at the same time. It's the same when you're reading a book. It's like you're getting these little downloads, and you're like, "Oh, cool! That's reminded me of that thing, and I really want to share that in my book too."
0: Yeah, yeah. What about uh what about your parents? Did they inspire a lot of that, or were you, is that something that you just kind of took off with?
1: Barbara and Phil.
0: Barbara and Phil. <laughs> Barbara Let's and talk Phil, Barbara yeah. and Phil for a second.
1: <laughs> I literally miss them so much. I haven't seen them for two years now. Wow. Yeah, because they're back in the UK. We used to do things like. After dinner, so in England, every Sunday, you'll have like a Sunday lunch. Mm -hmm. So it's like a Thanksgiving dinner here in America, but every every Sunday, every every Sunday. Yeah, sounds
0: like I got to move to the UK.
1: Exactly. It's amazing. (laughs) It's so good. So we had that as like an established tradition in our home, like so many other people. My dad would actually give us like problems after dinner. Mm -hmm. So as well as being encouraged to read books and enjoying doing that, He would sit and he'd be like, okay, have you had sufficient to eat? I can remember the exact words. And I'd be like, dad, give me a puzzle or give me a problem to solve. And you do things like, let me think of one. You do things like, okay, if it takes two men five hours to dig a hole that's one foot wide, how long does it take four men to dig a hole that's twice the size? And I'd sit there and I'd like think and I'd figure it out and I'd like give him the answer. It was just such a fun way to. Wait,
0: not, I feel like you have to answer the question now.
1: God, I don't even know what the question was that I
0: asked. <laughs> <laughs> something was, about men digging a hole yeah, or something like that. It's kind of fun, isn't it? It. Or you would yeah. get
1: out like a card deck and would like play cards afterwards. Yeah. And so it's. It's play and it's learning at the same time. A lot of mental exercise. Yeah, Yeah. like getting you to think differently and be able to problem solve.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So not a lot of like television and stuff like that and more of those types of things, reading, mental exercises, games, riddles, things like that. Yeah,
1: it's weird because I never grew up with Disney. Mm. I mean, I've watched plenty of them now as an adult, but I just didn't have I never went to Disney and... It wasn't necessarily that I felt like I'd missed out until I grew older and I was like, oh, everyone's seen all of these things and I haven't. But it was more like we would just do our homework, we'd go out and play. I feel like it's it's so different. Like maybe for you living in Vegas, there's a lot more space and you can go out and like your kids can run around. Like as I've grown up, I've seen less and less of that happening. Yeah. I used to go, there used to be the big field and the small field. Mm. And me and my brother would go, be like, which field should we go to today? We'd go on the field and we'd play rounders, which is like baseball here in America. Okay. And we just do fun stuff with our time.
2: Yeah.
1: And there was no mobile phones. Right. So we'd be like, mom, I'm going to the field. Like When the streetlights turn on. And it gets dark, mm-hmm. come
0: home. You got to come home. Yeah. That's, that's the time. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So it sounds like very much a, uh, fulfilling is the wrong word, but a, a childhood that fed you the things that you needed to be fed at the right times, it yeah. seems like. So how did that, how did that play into post high school? Talk to me about like decisions coming up to being 16, 17 years old, trying to decide what you're going to do with your life. Because I find that the majority of people that I talk to that do what you do for a living now... Uh, didn't really write that down on their binder when they were sixteen years old. Uh, so, talk to me about what happened after that. Totally
1: different. Totally different. So, I went through high school, and again, I was like, I had this. I've always had this interesting like dichotomy. I'm a Gemini as well, so this is like always going to be two things. I was really, really academic, and I was like a total nightmare in terms of like going out and partying. <laughs> so, I would always do both, and I think. I like assumed this kind of like character where I was always really responsible. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, my parents are always going to let me do whatever I want to do because I'm always going to be responsible with it. So even though I'm going out to parties far too young, I'm also doing my homework and still getting good grades. So it's kind of OK.
0: Yeah. Like as a parent, what do you do with that? You know, like you're really going to discipline your kid for being continually responsible and yeah. having fun at the same time. That's a that's a difficult uh, puzzle. Right. I'm sure, for your parents.
1: Totally. And I look back, I'm like, oh, God, I can't believe I got away with (laughs) that thing or but it was great because it like I always believe like whether it seems like it's good or bad at the the time it's always serving our growth. Mm. So, one of my favorite phrases is, it, it is what it is. Like, we are at where we are at and it's perfection. And you look back and you can make sense of things in different ways. But there's no point in regretting anything or being like, oh, I wish my childhood was different because you can't go back and change it. Yeah, right. So, I grew up with a real, I wouldn't say like a sense of discipline, but more a sense of responsibility mm. that my parents had instilled in, into me. If I ever got told off, it was more, I'm really disappointed in you, Nick. Mm. Rather than being, I'm going to go crazy because you're wrong It was, I'm really disappointed I always worked really hard And I think I got that from my dad Because my dad, one of my favorite memories with him Was being in the car On the way to school, on the days that he would take me to school, because a lot of times I used to have to get the bus Mm. and I used to be so embarrassed because my school uniform was like bottle green (laughs) with green tights and I'm massive, I'm five foot 10. So I was like on the bus, so embarrassed. I used to get called the green giant. I'm like (laughs) wanting the ground to swallow me up. Kids are
2: cruel. Kids are cruel.
1: Aren't they? Especially, I went to a girls' school as well. So girls are worse. So I used to like really, really hope and wish that my dad was going to take me to school. And on the days that he would, I used to love it because he'd be on the phone. He'd have like a hands free in the car and he would be taking some of his business calls in the morning. Mm -hmm. So he wasn't an entrepreneur, but he always worked really hard and he'd left school early He'd gone to work in a we call it like a hire company. So you know, if you want to rent a um wall sander mm-hmm. or a floor sander or a bouncy castle or yeah. something, you would rent it from that type of company. And he just worked his way up and up and up till he was one of the main directors. Okay. So we'd do these business calls with it hello, good morning. I I literally remember it. And that used to give me like an insight used to make me feel like really like excited because I'd be sitting quiet in the car and like listening all of this business go on. So I was always hardworking and I recognized that in part, I always look to my dad for guidance. So when I got into the kind of 16, 17 year old phase where you're starting to choose subjects that you want to study in more depth and you're starting to look at what career path you want to go on i chose to do um i actually did my business studies a year early so i got that out of the way and okay. did really well i got literally got 100 on my business studies and wow. then decided not to do business crazy i also did maths and physics and geography and I signed up to go to university and got two scholarships to study automotive engineering, mm-hmm. so mechanical and automotive engineering, always loved cars, grown up around cars, grown up around car racing. And I thought, you know what? There's this like opportunity to be a woman in a man's world <laughs> and I can go and like work in Formula One and I can earn 30 grand a year. And that was like a massive amount of money
0: for me. Yeah. yeah.
1: I was like 30 grand a year.
0: So do something like that, too. Yeah. Just thoroughly enjoyed. Totally. and
1: And so that was my big goal. And then I left the UK when I was 18, I think it was, to go to Australia. My partner at the time was a professional cricket player. Okay. So England gets really cold in the winter. So the cricket players go to Australia to do warm weather training and practice. Yeah. And my partner at the time was seeing a sports psychologist who said to him, he was called Nicky. And we we're Nick and Nick.
0: That's not it was confusing at ridiculous. all. ridiculous.
1: Yeah. yeah. It was really bad. <laughs> so we're not together anymore. So <laughs> yeah. mainly,
0: for <laughs> mainly for that reason. Mainly for that reason,
1: yeah. Um, so he came back and he said, right, when you are on the cricket pitch and you're into bat and you've got the fielders around you, don't look at the fielders, look for the gaps in between them instead. And I was like, Oh my god, like how much time do we spend looking at fielders in life, looking for at the problems, looking at what's wrong rather than looking for the opportunities and what's right. Mm. So I came back from Australia after that six months, cancelled my engineering degrees and went to study psychology instead.
0: Wow, that's crazy. So what did you think that was going to do for you? Like what did you, you wanted to be a practicing, you know, psychologist or... Where where did you think that path was going to take you? Or did it not really matter at the time?
1: At that time, I really had no clue. I'd started to love sports and not, not really sports. I'd started to love like personal training and working out and fitness and health. And I'd really hated it before because I used to get bullied in PE. Uh, So when I was like 11 or 12, I got bullied really badly and tried to take my own life. Mm. And got pulled out of the school that I was in and got homeschooled before going into another school. So I'd built up this relationship with it's safe in the classroom because bullies can't get to you. Mm, But in PE, there's no structure. There's no teacher watching you all of the time. So bullies can get to you. So I don't like sport. So I found my love for it again when I was across in Australia. So I studied psychology with sports science and at the same time trained to be a personal trainer. So I was a trainer for 10 years and I was kind of looking at that intersection between human performance, human behavior, like why we do what we do, but not just looking at what goes wrong with people in psychology, but what goes right with people as well. Hmm. So that was like, it was more one step in front of the other for me than having this big picture
0: so now bridge the gap for us where like you you're studying psychology you're doing personal training you do this for quite a while Mm. where where like how does that eventually lead into what you're doing now
1: so i had a guest expert lecturer who came into my university when i was i think in year two of my degree and she was teaching a class on positive psychology and she was like, Psychology, as usual, focuses on disorder and disease. Mm. But there's this new kid on the block, which is positive psychology. So, pos psych is actually the science of success. It's the science how individuals, communities, and businesses can thrive. Mm. So, I'm sure you've had that feeling before when you just like something comes into your awareness and you're like, Oh my goodness, this <clears throat> is my thing. Right.
0: Like and was, this exists yeah. yeah right
1: and it was like because especially because it's the science of well-being it's like dual benefit you get to build a career in it but you also get to have this personal journey and transformation as well so I'd found things like gratitude or the study of gratitude and just threw myself in headfirst. I ended up doing my thesis on that and Then went on to apply for a master's degree in that space and just love, love, love the journey, many twists and turns to continue to be able to establish myself in that place because it wasn't easy. It also wasn't cheap. So my parents didn't pay for me to go to university. So I always had to work full time, whether that was um, working full time as a trainer or managing a gym and then other adventures like becoming a gold broker to save up money to pay for my master's degree. A gold broker? Yep.
0: <laughs> How does that work?
1: Bizarre, isn't it? So one of my friend's dads was like moved across to Europe. Mm-hmm. And we 20 of us moved to Amsterdam. And we lived across there for a couple of years, and awesome. it w- it was wild. It was like such good time. And this is
0: while you were studying.
1: This is while I was studying. So I lived in Amsterdam, and I flew from the Netherlands to London once a month to study for like four days for my masters, and then fly back. Mm. And I'd study in the mornings, and then would go out to work in the daytime. Would like buy gold. I bought a twenty-four carat banana once.
0: <laughs> yeah, twenty-four carat banana. Yeah,
1: and then um like sold the gold and that was like our job for
0: just so you would just look for so you'd have to know what the current price of gold was yeah. and look for deals and negotiate, and, and flip gold basically
1: yeah so we'd have clients come to wow. us it was a totally Very different world yeah definitely <laughs> definitely not what i was definitely not what i was like on track to do but also right. one of the things that i've learned is even if you're taking a side step, if it's fueling the main goal, right. then it's okay. Like I knew very clearly where I was headed at that point. And I was like, this is a, a means to an end. And I get to invest time with all my friends as well.
0: Yeah. And, and I have to assume that there's some lessons you took away from doing that as well that have helped in your business now. Right. I mean, even just selling and negotiating and yep. finding deals and understanding markets and things like that, right?
1: Totally. And understanding business. Yeah. It was really interesting for me as like, as a young woman to be seeing the inner workings of how a business like that would work right? and just building my confidence all of the time. It was actually at that time when I set up my first business. So I was reading Tim Ferriss's book, The 4-Hour mm. Work I was going to ask
0: you about that one. Yeah. yeah.
1: Uh, And I was like in Holland, like reading these books, because sometimes we'd have a really busy day. Sometimes we'd have a uh, quiet day. So I was reading this book. It was like talking about passive income and how you can make money by not working. So it got me thinking, and this was back in 2010, got me thinking like, what do I love? Like, what could I do? How can I make money without needing a trade time for it? So I set up my first company that was a supplements company back in 2010. And I had a green juice product that was actually built and made, formulated here in America that I distributed in the UK so I had a drop shipping method and I ha- I built a website and it was rubbish. It was terrible, <laughs> <laughs> but it worked. And I had clients and I could start to see money coming in and i I was taking like a a percentage, basically, I was taking the orders, and then someone else was fulfilling them
2: mm.
1: and that felt so good because it was my first little adventure into making money online yeah right and that company took investment from Sir Richard Branson and he gave me eight thousand five hundred pounds, so it was tiny to start to hold my own stock and to start to do some marketing. And so that was in 2012 or 2013. You said he gave you that? Well, his company, uh, Virgin Money. Okay. So Virgin Money had a headquarters in Newcastle. Gotcha. And I'd gone in and done like a presentation and applied for funding. Ended up actually doing very much like we're doing here today, but a, a Google Hangout with him and Elon Musk. So I was like staring down this lens of a camera interviewing Elon and I didn't realize the production team were behind the camera and they're like, oh my God, Nick. And I I was just like trying to keep a straight face. I'm like, what are they all going on about? And I watched it back afterwards. And when we cut, they were like, you just made him cry. So now (laughs) it's on the internet as the girl that made the billionaire cry because I asked him about what his hardest times were in like his most emotional times were in business. And then from there, like that was a, a, a like a really awesome opportunity. I got to close the loop with Sir Richard because we went to Necker two years ago now. Okay. So I got to sat, sit no at dinner way. with him and say, "Cool story! You gave me eight thousand five hundred pounds yeah. ten years ago, and I'm now sat at your dinner table." In so it was really Necker cool. Necker Island. Yeah. yeah.
0: No kidding. That's awesome. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. So then where do you get into coaching? At what point along the journey? Because you obviously start making a little bit of money online. And I'll, I'll always remember the first dollar that I made online where it just clicked We're like, wait, this is, this is real. This is possible that I can actually make money. So from good, my laptop, right? you know what I mean? Like, this is pretty cool. And then you kind of get that bug, right? Where did you start figuring out that, like, I don't have to go into supplements and doing all these other stuff. I can take my, my passion, the thing that fuels me, mm-hmm. this positive psychology thing, and I can couple it together with this online business thing and actually turn this into what I do. It took a while honestly. <laughs> like, that looked like a painful answer. Yeah.
1: Cause I, I spent five years trying to figure it out Yeah, and it was five years doing all of the things that I loved. Wait,
0: Say that one more time. How long did it take you to figure it out? Five years. Yeah. So, so I, I feel like I have to highlight these things sometimes because I think sometimes we can kind of just gloss over them when we're having a good conversation, mm-hmm. but uh, this is why you are where you are now is that you took five years of hitting obstacle after obstacle, Mm -hmm. after obstacle, after obstacle, after obstacle. But the difference is you didn't just stop doing it or assume that it was impossible or just give up and go back to a nine to five or any of those other things. Like there was something inside of you that said Mm -hmm. this is this is worth it, right? Why do you think that you kept going so many people don't?
1: I actually, my copywriter reached out to me today and she was like, I've just read the email that you've sent to your list and I want to use it as a Facebook ad because it's so amazing. And it was an email about the energy of recommitment. And I think that's a piece that a lot of people are missing right now, especially in the digital space where you see someone showing up online that's like, oh, I've done a million dollar launch. And I'm like, cool, I want that now, today. easily. Do you know what I mean?
0: (laughs) I do know what you mean. So I
1: think they like people, there's two things that are going on. There's like the aspiration and the excitement and like, you can do anything you want. And then there's like, actually the reality, like, yes, you can. And it's going to be really hard to do it. So you better be prepared. So this email was sharing like over these years, there's many, many times where I've said to myself and others, like, I can't do this anymore. Like, it's a lot running a multi seven figure business and running a team and being creative and passionate
0: and looking after your health at the same time. Yeah, And taking care of employees and people that are depending on you for their livelihood too yeah
1: exactly so you've really got to command a higher level of accountability from yourself and not everybody realizes or is ready to do that so the energy of recommitment is really inviting us to look at why we do what we do because first of all everything I do is mission-led it's I have I have to do it. Like mm, I ha- mm. I can't not do it because I've got such a attachment to my purpose that fuels me even when I don't feel like showing up to do something. Yeah. And I feel like it's like that phrase when the going gets tough, the tough like get going. Get yeah. going. Mm-hmm. But I think it's like when the going gets tough, sometimes the tough Do you take a pause and reconnect with why they're doing something in order to recommit Hmm. and then get going again? Because I think if you're just in it for the money or you're just in it to do it as quick as possible, then it's either never going to happen or it's never going to last.
0: That's not as catchy as the first phrase. So it probably just hasn't (laughs) caught on, but I get what you're saying though. (laughs) So... So you keep going obstacle after obstacle, break through the obstacles. So I interrupted the story. I want you to take us back now. You're, you're, you've been doing this for five years, lots of failures, lots of missteps mm-hmm. along the way. So back into the story. Now.
1: So, yeah, I tried and tested. I call it my market research. So I say like those five years were my market research where I had a business which you might look at something like... I don't know, like goop or you look at a business that has got a lot of traffic, a lot of products, a lot of offers, a lot of different dynamics. And I was almost trying to create something like that early on, Mm. not knowing anything about digital marketing or building an audience or building the business. So it was more like I'd collected together all of these pieces that I loved. So I loved personal training. I loved coaching. I'd studied coaching through my master's degree in post-psych and I'd started doing that. I loved public speaking after having been scared of it. I'd made it my thing that I really, really like love to stand up and do. So I was running these little mini motivational events in Newcastle, in libraries, in health food cafes and doing my personal training and doing coaching and selling the supplements. I'm like, this is all going to work. And what I realized was that I was just diluting my attention Mm. and I was trying to do far too many things at once. So I really had to get real on what it was that I needed to focus on first in order to grow the business, doing something that I loved. And I had a guy that had told me like, Nick, you're never going to make money doing public speaking. You're never going to make money as a coach. You'll make 75 grand a year. And that's it. I really think that you should build a warehouse for your supplements company And yes, like a lot of my friends now have supplements companies that are like hundreds of millions of dollars. And that wasn't my path. Mm -hmm. And I remember when this guy was telling me, like, you just need to do supplements. It made me feel physically sick inside. Mm, So I followed my, yeah, Yeah. exactly. I followed my intuition. I was like, right, maybe public speaking isn't going to make me more than 75,000. Yeah. I actually think it will. So I'm going to ignore you and (laughs) I'm going to follow what I really want to do. So I flipped my business model at that stage and I shifted away from doing public speaking first because I was kind of thinking I'll do the public speaking and that will feed my coaching. Mm -hmm. But I realized actually there's only so many times that you can run events in a month with the whole marketing and getting people to show up and then selling coaching off the back of it. So I flipped it and I started to sell coaching first and I made that the only thing that I did for quite a long time. Mm -hmm. I think I spent probably about a year just doing coaching Mm -hmm. and then i looked at how can the speaking feed my coaching and now like since i've been awarded an extraordinary ability visa for america Mm. to come and live and work here in the field of public speaking with a specialism in positive psychology so It was really an exercise, just like when I shifted from engineering to um, psychology—an exercise in in trusting yourself, an exercise in even if the whole (coughs) world around you thinks you are mental. Yeah, when you have that knowingness inside of you, and my brand is called Unstoppable Success. Yes, it's about the the outside unstoppable success, but it's really about that inner knowing and that inner trusting that you do know best and that guiding gut feeling is worth following.
0: Where did you find people to purchase coaching from you if you weren't using public speaking or any of those other tools to get in touch with people
1: it's an interesting question and actually when i say that the five years that i'd been practicing with market research it really was because i had a tiny mailing list of 580 people who had bought supplements from me or who had joined my little newsletter or who mm. had come to an event And I just built it up and built it up over time. So that became my first pool of people that I went to invite to come and work with me. And then from that space and place, they referred people and it gained momentum. I left the UK to write the book and took everyone on the journey with me. Because I was so excited. I went to Australia first again in 2015 and I was just so excited to be having this storytelling opportunity. where it's like me and my suitcase and my dream (laughs) and that's it. And really showcasing what that was like. Yeah. So I, when I left, I set up a group coaching program. And I sold one space on the group coaching program. I'd invested six months in learning ads and I was like, this is going to be the thing that takes my business into the stratosphere. And when I sold one place, I was so embarrassed. I was like, (laughs) and I, I I learned and I believe like, even if you only help one person in the audience, then that's your job done. Or even if you only help one person, then that's always enough. And one person in a group coaching program isn't a group. So I went into emergency. Restrat strategization at that phase, and ended up moving more into the one-on-one coaching space. I made 35k in the first 35 days of the business, and then 100k in 100 days from there. And I think that gave me working with a coach as well to be able to do that. I it gave me a sense of certainty and also a momentum. Yeah, and I think that That confidence again. Yeah, there's like a tipping point in yourself and in business where. So many people give up before they get there. It's like a critical mass that we have to reach where everything just flows after that. Sure. It doesn't mean it's not going to be hard or you're not going to want to quit or you're not going to have bad days. Right. But there's like this, like in a startup, there's so much groundwork that you've got to do in the business and in yourself. And I see so many people who want to quit just before they're about to get there. Mm -hmm. And I've seen it in our coaching programs and clients come to me and they're like, Nick, I just can't do this anymore. And I'm like, amazing, (laughs) amazing. Like this is it. Like it's about to happen. And they trust themselves and they recommit. And it's like they break through this to their next level and then start signing clients or hit the, 10k or the 100k month or whatever it is but so many people give up before they get there
0: yeah it's so powerful because if you look at it even from just like a logical standpoint it just doesn't make sense if you've put that much work into something that like that would be like that'd be like every day making a trip to the bank and making a deposit in a bank account and knowing that you couldn't withdraw any money from it until you hit a certain dollar amount and then but you don't really know what the dollar amount is so one day you just stop going to the bank because mm-hmm. you're like, Completely. I can't withdraw anything. There's mm-hmm. like, there's no, there's, there's nothing there. I'm not getting anything from it. It's like, yeah, but you know that if you just put in the work and trust the process that at some point you're going to be allowed to withdraw a lot of money from that bank account, it's, it, it, it's the same thing. And that, and that's why that recommitment thing is so powerful mm-hmm. because that's the only thing that keeps people from doing it. Something is for sale in their mind. Like their will to win is for sale and they've hit the price in their mind of like, it's been a year and a half. It's been five years. It's been Mm -hmm. however much time. I've invested this much money. I've, you know, uh, I've I've hit this level of stress or whatever. And so in their mind, they're just like, well, that's it. I'm done. I'm just back at the nine to five, you know? And it's like, well, but you're, you're so close though. You know, you've put so many deposits in the account. You're so close to being able to like make your first withdrawal, like stick in it for a little bit longer. And when you look at all of the people that are now in the position that you were in, Almost every single one of them went through that at some point where they had to make a decision to keep going when they weren't sure why they were continuing to do what they were doing. You know, you you almost look at it like you're masochistic in a certain way where it's just like, man, what what am I doing to myself? Why why do I keep doing this? (laughs)
1: That's literally the question is like, why am I doing this? Like, does it have to be like, I think if people knew as well, I, I, I think it's a good thing and it's definitely... The phase of growth that people are at, there's different mindsets that work at those different phases of growth. Mm. And naturally, whenever you're starting something, it's a a lot of excitement. Right. And I actually think that the excitement carries you through because if you didn't have the excitement and you knew what it took to run a big business, then you would never get started. Exactly.
0: Yep. So true. Yeah. And I've definitely thought that before where it's like, man, I, if, if I would have known how much I was biting off before I started chewing, like I would have never, I would have never, you know, taken the plunge. I just yeah. would have been like, you know what? I think I'm cool with just like making six figures in sales and, you know, going home and being done with work. Yeah. And I don't have to go to bed worrying about how I'm going to pay bills tomorrow. And you know what I mean? Like Staying it's just in
1: your comfort zone.
0: Right. Exactly. It's just like, this would be so much easier if I did X, Y, and Z, but then you don't get any of the benefits either. You know, it's just you, if you want if you want to live a life that nobody else can live, then you have to do the work that nobody else is willing to do. And I think that a lot of people, like to your point, don't realize how much work that actually is uh, because they are only seeing the finished product. Yeah. You know, they they meet you when you're a best-selling author and you are, you know, making millions of dollars and traveling the world and living in Beverly Hills. And like that's that's the version of Nick that they meet. So that's what they're thinking that they can equate what their future success Mm -hmm. is going to be. And they think that future date is a lot sooner than it actually ends up being, you know what I mean? And uh, it's unfortunate because sometimes a lot of the marketing world, I think some of the downsides of the marketing world is that it it sounds really awesome when you can highlight a lot of your students or clients or people who've like, had that kind of rocket fuel Mm -hmm. success story. And so what happens is a lot of marketing pushes all these success stories in front of people and they're like, wow, that person did this. And you know, in three months, that's crazy. And then they do it and it doesn't happen in three months. And they're like, well, it doesn't work. It's a scam. And it's like, no, it's just like that particular person was able to do it probably because they came from a different background where they mm-hmm. already had these other skills. You know, like somebody, somebody that's coming directly from a high, you know, performing sales environment is probably going to do a little bit better mm-hmm. with this new thing than you that used to work at Starbucks. You know what I mean? Because they've been trained on this skill and that skill is directly translatable. Like you can't compare. Your desired results to other people's existing results because your story is different than everybody else's. Yeah,
1: and in the and the other way around as well. Like sometimes, and the rock talks about this Mm -hmm. when your back's against the wall and you've got nowhere else to go. I also see if someone's like a little bit complacent and they've kind of got a cushy life already, then they might not go as fast towards their goals because they don't need to. Then you get someone else that's like really hungry. And it's like I have to make this work yep. because there's no other option. Resort, so let's yeah. go. Then that person can really kick ass.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. I was having this conversation with somebody recently. They asked me, do they asked me if I thought that it was necessary to hit rock bottom in order mm-hmm. to be able to have a big moment of success? And my answer ultimately was no, uh, because I think that I've, I've interviewed enough people now over the course of time to meet a bunch of people who never really had that rock bottom moment they were just always kind of fueled by some sort of inner desire to be um you know more than uh but a lot of times sometimes that's what, that's what people need they need that swift kick in the ass to get them working and heading in the direction uh that that they actually need to be going in I'd be curious though to hear what your thoughts are on that I think it's both Yeah, I think it's um, dependent on the motivators of that individual.
1: Yeah. And I think that there's a lot to be said for resilience and grit. And I believe from a spiritual perspective, this lifetime on this planet is about the mastery of struggle. So in positive psychology, we talk about two different mindsets. We talk about the fixed mindset and the growth mindset. Mm -hmm. So the fixed mindset is just focused on the goal and it's very black and white. It's like you either win or you lose. It's absolute failure or it's absolute success. Yeah. Whereas the growth mindset is what are we actually learning along the way and what is the process? So I think I, I, I agree with you. Like I see some friends who haven't had adversity in their lives. And that's amazing. Like it's, it's never going to be a one size fits all. Every single person has their silver linings. Every single person has their purpose and their mission. And it's going to be completely different for all of us. Someone asked me on a, um, an interview the other day, do you think the purpose has to be related to career? And I don't. Like I have friends who are like, Oh Nick, I love what you're doing. Like, congratulations. And that's not my purpose. Mm, like yeah, I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't want to do that. Right. Like, I have friends who are amazing mums who have got four kids. And I'm like, you are literally a superhero. And they're like, oh, I hear I'm, that. yeah. <laughs> like, I know that this my purpose on this planet is to raise kids and I'm doing a really good job at it. Right,
0: right. Yeah, oh, yeah. Then and I totally would agree with that is that it doesn't mean that it's for you just because somebody else has Mm. done it. But if it is for you, I think sometimes people will try to convince themselves that it's not because they are having trouble achieving what they think they want, mm. if that makes sense. Like they do have these big goals and ambitions and dreams, but then they just start kind of convincing themselves along the way that, no, I don't really want that because it's more difficult to achieve than they thought it was going to. And I think that's what ends up leaving, leading to a lot of regret later on down the road is when you're not being honest with yourself mm. in what you want out of life, which leads to why it's so important to always. Have clarity around what you're trying to get out of life and what you what what you want your future version of life to look like. Uh, because man, I, if there's anything I fear um, in this world, it's regret. You know, like being able like sitting down at a on my deathbed. I'm you know 95 or whatever. And I'm thinking back and I'm just like, man, I wish I would have done that thing. Mm. And and I try to think about that whenever I'm looking at a new opportunity, because I know that if the answer is yes, I will regret that, then I have to do it. Yeah. No no matter how difficult it's going to be, I have to, I have to give it a shot. And And that's kind of why I started this, the software company. I'm not a developer. I don't know software at all. Like that's not my strength at all the past few years, I've been learning podcasting, I've been learning content creation, I've been learning coaching and courses and all these other things to, to help entrepreneurs with content and whatever. And now all of a sudden I'm running a software company and it's a startup and we have funding and, and now I'm like hiring product people and it's just a brand new world. And it's, and it's filled with stress and anxiety and all that kind of stuff because it's brand new thing. But I knew that if I fast forwarded the clock And I'm sitting there and I never got to do the things that I really wanted to do in life. But I would always look back on this moment and be like, I wonder what would have happened if Mm. and that just would have driven me crazy if 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 I didn't take action on that thing. And so I had to do it. Especially
1: with this as well, like it solves such a big problem.
0: Yeah. So it's like you're also impacting and helping. You only have so many of those types of ideas. You know what I mean? Like where you have an idea that you think has a big enough market with a big enough problem that you're solving that's scalable and exitable where it's like, oh, I don't know how long it's going to be before I have another one of these ideas. (laughs) You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Or if somebody else gets this idea and takes action on it, you know, it's always going to like, how many times have you been having a conversation with somebody They're like, they're like, Oh yeah, I thought about that, you know, like, and then, you know, and then like two years later, somebody did it and I was yeah. like, Oh man, I should have done it. And it was like, yeah, you should have. That was my <laughs> you know idea. I mean? Yeah. it's like ideas are a dime a dozen. Totally. How many people have thought about doing what you do? How many people have thought about this same, you know, idea before, but the implementation, the action on the idea is worth a hundred times more than the idea is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do want to talk about your book. So now is your chance a 30 day guide to living your happiest life using positive psychology. Can you tell us a little bit about the why behind the book and then maybe one or two principles that you want people to take away?
1: yeah, so the book is, I mean, everything that I do is in alignment with the bigger picture mission, which is to help millions of humans transform their lives using positive psychology, coaching and entrepreneurship. So I originally wanted to write a textbook because I am still the geek, and then I realized that that would be super boring. So I ended up weaving a lot of personal story through the book as well. So it's a toolbook. And you can literally either work through it one tool per day for 30 days, or you could flip it open and just dive into whichever one you fancy. And one of the um amazing things about positive psychology is it has the power to shift your mindset and your mood and the way that you feel in a moment. So you talked about what you would regret when you're dying. One of the positive psychology interventions, it kind of echoes that and it's, around like what would you actually want to be remembered for so let's say you're at the end of your life and everything has gone as well as it possibly could like what do you want other people to be saying about you how do you want them to be remembering your strengths or what you created in the world and from that place and space you can start to look at okay so that's where i want to be what would be one next positive step towards that Mm. So I see the book as it's really an opportunity to get the tools into the hands of people who need them the most. Yeah. So it feels like not everybody knows what an online course is. Not everyone knows what a mastermind is, but everyone knows what a book is. Yeah. So it's getting the science out there so that it can really help people in a format that they're familiar with.
0: What was the uh, best and worst part about writing a book?
1: The best, honestly, the best part is probably now, like having the book and having it written and being able to share it. So it feels like now it's super fulfilling and it's that part of it is complete. I think the hardest thing that came through was having to understand that a book's actually never done. Hmm. So I thought when I submitted the book proposal to Hey House, I thought when I get the book deal. It's going to be done. I'll be a Hay House author. It's going to be complete. Then the next phase is, right, okay, Nick, peace out. You've got to write the book now. So (laughs) (laughs) I remember sitting, I locked myself in the house in L.A., and just like brain dumped and like worked through everything and got the book out. Then I was like okay the book's done. Then it's like okay we need a second draft of the book. Then we need to edit the book. Now you've got to plan your <laughs> launch. Now you're going to do your free plus shipping funnel. It's like it never ends. Right. And I think it's the same with Personal growth. It's the same with entrepreneurship. The journey never ends. So you better get used to being on the journey and being able to enjoy it along the way. Exactly.
0: Yeah, Yeah, because it's never going to get any easier and it's probably Mm -hmm. actually going to get a little bit more difficult. Yep. Yeah. More responsibility, Mm -hmm. more things to do. Yeah. Rather than less. Yeah. Yeah. Uh well, is there anything that you kind of want to leave our listeners with? Any sort of, you know, final closing thoughts?
1: I think with the the energy of Positive psychology really being something that transcends everything that we do in life. So Pause psych is able to support us in leading more flourishing lives ourselves. It's able to help us live more flourishing lives within relationship, within business, with our health. So it's not that this science is just for people who are interested in psychology. It really is for everyone.
0: Love it. Nick, this has been awesome. I had a really great time. Hope you did as well. Guys, please go pick up a copy of Nick's book. Now is your chance and make sure to go follow her over on social. She's always putting out really great stuff over there. Um, Nick, thanks so much for coming on the show. This is awesome. Thank you.